Hello and welcome to the Oz Investing Podcast, the podcast for the everyday investor. Just a quick note before we begin today's podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be considered as personal financial advice. If you're ever in doubt about your financial situation, please reach out to a qualified financial advisor. With all that said and done, let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Oz Investing Podcast. My name is Sam and with me as always is my buddy Jude. How are you, Jude? Doing well, mate. How are you? Yeah, really well, thanks. I'm really excited about today's podcast because we have another guest on. Very excited to welcome my personal friend, Steve, to the podcast. Steve, how are you, mate? I'm well, thanks. Nice nice to to chat with you both. Nice to meet you, Steve. Steve, can you give give our listeners a bit of an introduction about yourself, bud? Yeah, sure. In terms of my investing background, I've invested in a, a range of different things. As with most people, I've sort of invested in shares. I've invested in options, as we'll discuss today, futures, uh, warrants, and, and and probably like almost every other Australian who's any kind of investor as well. Mixed results throughout that time. And yeah, I guess it's, it's been a bit of a, a learning curve al- along the way, but a, but a one that I'm really excited about continuing going on. Oh, that's awesome, Steve. I think the first time when we met, this was going back a few years, it was with some friends at Pancake Parlor. And then, yep. you know, we started talking a little bit about investing in the stock market, index funds, and later, you know, you were talking about options and futures as well. So as you mentioned, yep, today we're just talking about options and it's the topic of today's podcast. And Steve, can you just tell us in really simple terms, what are options? Simple terms. That's a good question. It's a, it's a stunning introduction just there. So options are a, they're a type of financial instrument, a financial contract. It falls under the umbrella term of derivatives. So included in that sort of term of derivatives are, are options, obviously. There's futures, there's warrants. And essentially, if I was going to chunk down, it's, they're basically a financial tool that lets you control trade and profit from uh, various asset classes. So you can, for example, you can buy options against, buy or sell options against uh, shares. You can buy and sell options against property. You can buy and share options against futures. You can buy options, uh, buy and sell options uh, against businesses. So essentially options are a financial instrument and they let you control a type of asset. Whatever the asset is, it's, it's mentioned in the specific options contract and it uh, dis- dis- uh, describes how that asset can be can be traded so okay oh, yeah go on i, I was i was gonna say so i've i've done some very basic uh research into options and there's something called a put and there's something called called a call so w- would you be able to just explain those those two terms yeah definitely so as you correctly said the, the two types of options are call options and put options so mm. a call option is an option that goes up in value as the underlying asset value goes up. So for example, if, uh, and I'll just arbitrarily pick a a share and I'll just say BHP, if you bought BHP today and for argument's sake, if it was $40 and you bought an option around that, at the time, if if BHP then went up to $45, that Mm -hmm. call option would go up in value by by a certain amount. So call options go up when the underlying asset price goes up. Right, Um, yeah. A put option on, the other hand, goes up as the value goes down. Mm, yep, yep. So, okay. so yeah, put options are 
yeah, when something and, and conversely, sorry, I forgot to mention, a call option goes up in value as the asset price goes up, yep. but its value drops as the asset, asset drops. So the BHP, as we mentioned before, if mm. you bought a call option for $40 at $40, if you went to $45, you're doing great. The call option would have increased considerably, but mm -hmm. if it drops to 30, 35 or 30, 35 yep. or 30, mm. the call yep. option value drops considerably right. as well and quite right. quickly. Right. Um, okay. Mm. So with a put option, it, it's it's exact opposite. So the put option, yeah. if you bought a put option for $40 and it was $40, if the price of BHP went up, the value of that put option would drop in value. But uh, if the price of BHP went down, the price of the put option would go up. So it's yeah. contrary in that regards. So it's, so almost like a, it's almost like a short then, almost. Well, yes, it is. Uh, you, you essentially take it for that perspective. So you, if you're going along a position, you would generally, if you're going to be a buyer, you tend to buy a call option. And if yep. you're going, if you had a short or bearish perspective, you would buy a put option, correct? Yeah. Okay. So, so is there any tenure in terms of, or a time frame in which you can, you know, hold these uh, particular options? Yeah, absolutely. So if I just step back for a second, and because uh, sometimes the concept of a, a put option is a little bit confusing for people. How can something go up in value when something goes down? It seems uh, contrarian. Yeah. But I guess I'm, I'm assuming both of you are in a car. Yep. 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 And both of you would have bought an insurance policy against your car, right? Yep. Yep. Yes. So let's say for argument's sake, you've got your car and it's worth $20,000 and you take out an insurance policy for a period of time. Yep. You pay a premium to cover the value of that car. So, yes. and and just like with a an insurance policy, if you buy an insurance policy that that's only going to last for a month, there's a small there's a small cost. If you want it for six months, it's a it's a higher cost. If you want it for twelve months, it's a higher cost. So same kind of thing happens with uh, option pricing as well. The longer the option price is, sorry, the longer longer the option duration is, the the higher mm -hmm. the price is. But also, like with your insurance policy, if you're going to pay by pay by the month, it's generally a little bit more expensive than if you bought, bought an annual premium, right? Okay. So, so the same sort of thing applies with with options as well. If you buy a, a short-term option, it's it's more expensive. But if you buy uh, a 12-month option, it's more expensive, but it's not 12 times the one month. If, if you it. know if you know what I mean, it might be the equivalent of. Um, six or even nine months, you'd basically get the rest of that time period almost for free. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, so in the in the um, in the event of your car, when you're when you're when you crash your car, the value of your car goes down, right? Yes. But because you've insured it generally at an agreed price, the value of the the insurance policy sort of goes up in value. It makes up the difference of what you would have lost on the value of the car. Like for example, if it got written off and you got $500 from the wreckers for taking away your car, the mm -hmm. insurance policy would meet the rest of that that value. Does that make sense? Yep, it does. It yep. does. That's, a, that's a good example, though, I think, in terms of that insurance policy, because I think those analogies can really help sometimes. Yeah, that, that, that's, when I was learning these, it really helped me with analogies. So apologies in, apologize in advance if I go through a few analogies, but uh, but that's what, that's what works for me. So no, I think that's yeah. the, the simpler it is, the better it is, Steve, right? Because I think you want to drill the concepts in first, you know, yeah. obviously then once people have an idea as to what, need, you know, what you really need to do in the background is to go back and then learn those concepts back and then, you know, uh, try it themselves. So yeah, absolutely. the concepts kind of sticks in, that's, that's what really works. 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And and obviously in, in the short time we've got together, no one's going to become an expert on this. So uh, if anything, it'll whet an appetite for further research and investigation. No, perfect. Perfect. Sounds good. And Steve, on that particular point, the note itself, right? Because I think you mentioned about the the stocks at least, right? Like when you do it on an individual stock, when you go and buy or purchase any stock at the market, you can buy one share, right? So mm-hmm. is there a particular limit in terms of when you go for options? Is it like, you know, you can you just buy uh, options for one share or it has to be in slots or, you know, how does that work? Yeah, great question. So first up, not all shares have got options out over the over those existing ones. So for argument's sake, if there's a thousand shares, there might only be a hundred types of shares that have got options against them. So not all of them are covered by the options clearinghouse. But the answer to your question, the minimum number of options you can buy, one option, mm-hmm. um, and one option generally controls a parcel of a hundred shares. Got it. Ah, right. That's interesting. Okay. When I first started learning, it used to be a thousand here in Australia, but then they changed to a hundred. So now uh, one option equals a hundred shares of that particular share. Got it. Right. Okay. So that 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 ties into what you mentioned before then about depending on the movement of the of the stock and also depending on whether or not you put a call option or a put option. As you said, as the price goes either up or down, it dramatically affects that put or that call option uh, absolutely yeah yeah and, and, yep. and it if the movement is magnified because it's mm. it's pretty much a leveraged instrument so yes. it it magnifies the gains and the loss that that movement if it moves in your favor it, it magnifies the movement but if it lo- moves against you it magnifies the the movement against you as well so yep. we, we covered put options if we just um, backtrack for a second with with call options a little bit more i'll give you an example with that one if a few years ago i ended up buying a um actually ended up buying a, a call option over a block of land, but but I'll, I'll park that one for a second. A lot of people ended up buying block of land by putting like almost like a deposit down for like $1,000 or something to declare their interest in in a block of land. And then once the block of land ended up getting subdivided, the, the value of that land increased. Yep. Yep. Because um, because people were intending to build on it. Is, is that why it increased? Okay. Yep, yeah. Yep. And there was extra infrastructure. There was roads. There was electricity points connected, all that sort of stuff that made yep. the land usable for, yep. for, for construction on it. So yep. the option price was really small, but because of the fact that it was controlling this parcel of land, once, once that happened, the value of that call option went up in price. Mm. Does, does that make sense? Yep. So it's, yep. it's a leverage instrument. But if, if for argument's sake, at the end of that period, um, they found that there was radioactive waste in the land and they couldn't develop it, then the value of that $1,000 would have gone down. It might have been lost totally. Got it. Got it. Yep. yep. So call options work like that. Mm. Uh, another metaphor I've used before or, or heard of is a call option works some, a bit like buying a ticket in a, in a, in a horse race. You know, it's got it's, it, the, the option lasts for the duration of the race. At any time in there, the, the horse could be coming first, last, whatever, but what, what happens at the end is what matters. But, you know, you put down a small amount of money and then if the horse wins, you, you win a, a, a significantly larger amount than the, the amount you tended. Yep. Okay. So, so would you, I guess, consider that one of the benefits of using options because of that magnification aspect of, of options? Yeah, well, definitely. The, the, the magnification is, well, actually, it's, it's a good way of asking that question, um, stunning way, actually. See, options have got a range of different benefits. So we've touched on the put option being kind of like an insurance policy or the technical term in, in the industry is a hedge. It's can, Options can be used to hedge a position of an asset. So mm. like if you were going to buy 
the BHP shares, you could then buy a put option against BHP so that um, if it goes up, great, your the value of your shares goes up, you get your dividends, fantastic. And what you'd, you'd lose in your put option would be a small amount, if especially if BHP, BHP went up a, a hell of a lot. But if BHP had another mining disaster like they had a bunch of years ago when I owned them, the put option would protect your investment. So mm. while other people would be sitting on a loss, your put option, you could then sell it back to the market or sell your shares and get out of the position with, with a lot less loss than anyone else would. Yep. Okay. Um, that's a good so way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, that's, that's one benefit of it. There is another benefit is that, as we mentioned before, if somebody was looking at it from a speculative position, they could just buy the call option. And, and if the share went up, they could then on-sell that for a profit and it magnified. So they'd, they'd get uh, a, a much bigger result than if they'd just parked the money in the share itself because of the, the, the leverage effect, if that makes sense. Yep. Yep. It does. So, so they're both bought perspectives. So there's another concept we probably wouldn't, uh, would probably benefit from introducing is that somebody can buy and sell options in terms of trading them the way I described before, somebody who's buying them with the hope that it's going to go up or with the hope that it's going to protect their, their investment. But um, and so some people can actually, if, they, if they've got a bearish perspective, they might not even own the shares, but they just think, oh, I'll buy a put because I think this is going to go down and trade the, the short position. So that, that's one perspective. That's the speculative side of options. But there's also uh, another side which I think might interest your viewers, which is the income generation perspective of, of options. So what I mean by that is there's the first time an option is created, like the beauty of options is they can get created out of thin air. Like before, before this moment, an option might not have existed. But once two parties come together, a, a writer and a buyer come together, an option is created. So it comes out of thin air. It's different mm. to owning a share. Before owning a share has to have existed. A company has to exist. They have to be have become listed. They have to create a product or a service. It's, it's an actual physical thing. With yep. an option, it's a paper asset. So it exists the minute two people decide to come together and form this agreement. So at the time of writing, the person who's writing the option, they are assuming a certain level of risk and they get paid a premium. Got it. So beforehand, when we meant the insurance policy for your car, we're, we're essentially buyers of insurance policies, right? Yep. But on the other side of that equation is the insurance company. And you've got to think, well, what's their benefit, right? Their, their purpose is to collect a premium. That's, that's revenue for them. Yes. So they're hoping, obviously, that your car doesn't get involved in a car accident and they don't have to pay 20 odd thousand dollars or whatever the difference is from the wreckers. They're hoping that that your car, that you're a good driver, which is why they tend to assess people differently and have different premiums according to different cars and suburbs and crime rates and all that sort of stuff. So they go through their analysis, but their business, they're in the business of actually collecting premium. Correct. Right. So with the call option side of things that we were talking about before, there is a position where somebody can become the writer. So you sort of like become an insurance policy, but the reverse of it, So because you're actually doing it on the upside rather than hoping people, you know, insuring against people's loss. So somebody could be writing calls against their shares, which effectively uh, some people have called renting out their shares. It's basically writing calls against a parcel of shares that they own to generate that premium. So that is an additional benefit that options provide. Now, if you need me to go back over that, again, it's a, a very verbose way of saying what I was saying, but 
that the act of writing call options is another strategy of writing additional income. So imagine a bunch of your um, listeners might be in the FIRE community. They're looking at retiring early off, off dividends. Um, mm. if, if somebody was owning a parcel of shares, whether it was creating dividends or not, if those shares are options tradable, then they could actually write calls against their shares and generate additional revenue. So it's a, a, a brand new additional revenue stream that they would not have created had beforehand. Yep. Mm. That's that's an interesting take, right? That's another another stream to generate revenue. You're absolutely right, Steve. Yeah. So so that's where options can provide great flexibility depending on what your position in the market is, what whether you've got assets, whether you're a speculator, whether you want to basically increase your revenue from from the existing shares that you own. So that's where I think uh, options provide great greater flexibility and a time for, you can manage your time frame, manage your expectations, manage risk. So from that perspective, I find options are a really, really useful tool, a useful asset. Yeah, that's that's a very valid one. But I think, Steve, another thing, what, you know, I think there's a lot there's a lot of uh, noise also around the, the markets when they say, you know, options sometimes get a bit risky. Like you mentioned about the risks to the writers. Uh, are there any other type of risks which are associated with, you know, someone really dealing with options? Yeah, if great question. Great, really great haven't, question. you know, been someone who really is into options too much? What are the risks, potential risks for this type of investor? Yeah, great question. So there definitely are risks. Um, just as with every investment, there are risks. That's why I don't recommend any of your listeners jump in and start doing options right now because they'll <laughs> probably get their, their bum handed to them. <laughs> it's not a fun experience. The, the, the risks come according to what your intention is. So I, I should say that most the statistics are that I think it's 90% of options expire worthless. So if if somebody was buying options with intention of making money out of them, mm-hmm. the, the odds the odds are stacked against them. It means that 10% of times when it is working correctly, people are making great amount of money, and that looks great on the brochure. But the reality is 90% of the time people are losing. However, you also got to look at it as What's the intention? If somebody was buying a put option as a hedge against their insurance policy, then it's against their assets, then it's not a, it, it's a cost of doing business, right? You don't, for example, cry at the end of the year because your car didn't get in an accident and you didn't claim on your insurance policy. You don't cry if your house didn't burn down and you didn't have to claim on your insurance policy. That's actually a good year, right? So in that case, the, the risk of loss there, even though it's 100%, you're going to lose all your premium in that case, it's a good outcome, right? Yeah. So, so the risks come when you're, if you're speculating and you're, and the direction you choose doesn't work out. So, for example, let's just go with the BHP example we said before. Let's say somebody bought the option at, for, for shares at $40 and they had to pay a, a premium, let's just say arbitrarily that it's $0.50 cents per share yep. um, to, bu- to buy that option. The only time that BHP, that that option will be profitable is if it goes above $40.50. This, this is if if it's a call option. So correct. we're doing a call option, yeah. Yeah, yeah correct. Yep. So if somebody's bought a call option with the hope that the BHP is going to go through the roof in a positive way, they will make money once the BHP share goes above $40.50. Below yep. that point, it makes no sense for 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 that for that trade to be profitable. Yep. Right? And conversely, if somebody was thinking that BHP was going to go down and they were just speculating and they were trading BHP to go down, uh, and it was the same amount, it was $40, and let's say the premium cost $0.50, cents, then they would only be profitable if BHP fell below $39.50. If it went up in value, that option would expire worthless. So that's one of the risks. So that's the risk if you're going to be a speculator. 
it's also pertinent we discuss one other point, which is I mentioned before about writing calls against shares you own. That is in in, in uh, options land, that's called writing covered calls. It means that the option that that, that you're writing is covered or protected by by the extra share itself. And let me explain why that's really important. Let's say you thought, hey, writing call options, making money out of thin air, fantastic. Where do I sign up? Great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write up a call option and I want to collect all this premium. Fantastic. So you, you sell your call options to somebody else at $40. And then tomorrow, BHP announces that they're merging with, I don't know, Rio Tinto and the collective share price goes up to $70 per share. As a call writer, you're obliged to give that person, who, mm-hmm. the other side, the buyer, BHP shares at $40. Yep. But BHP shares now in the market are $70. So for every uh, one of those options, that, that person would have to go out and buy shares at $70 to sell them back at $40, which is a very, very painful exercise. So that, in that instance, is called naked call writing. And it's a very, very dangerous strategy. It, it works if the market is about to plummet, but if, mm-hmm. it, if it goes up, there's a significant risk, and the risk is theoretically unlimited because if BHP goes up to $1,000, for argument's sake, because of that purchase, you would be obligated as a call writer to buy the shares at $1,000 and sell them back to somebody at $40. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> yeah. So writing naked call options is very, very risky if you get the, if you get the direction wrong. So the only strategy that, that I've ever done and I recommend and is to only write sh- options against shares that you currently own. So You've got 100 shares of BHP, fantastic. You write one option and collect the premium on that as an income generating strategy. Does All that make right. sense? Got yeah. it. Got it. So and on the flip side, yeah, uh-huh. sorry. Go, no, yeah. no, go, go ahead, Steve. Then I've got a question. Go ahead. Yeah. And, and, and on the flip side, somebody could also write naked puts and the same risk applies there. So they might be wanting to collect premiums, but if they're writing a call option, uh, sorry, writing a put option at $40 and BHP plummets to zero, they have to buy them at forty dollars, even though in market they're worth they're worth zero. So there there are significant risks around those. They can definitely be managed, but you need to understand what you're doing so that you don't put yourself in a position of either losing all your money or losing an unlimited amount of money, <laughs> which is even more painful. Got it, got it, Steve. So I think and I think my my follow up question was on that particular element, right, where you said that the person needs to understand what they're doing, right? So absolutely. In a way, like when you think understand what they're doing, because it, you're either hedging or you're betting against whatever scenario, right? So mm-hmm. is it the fact of the matter is you still have to do go that amount of research in terms of that particular you know company or the stock you're really uh, dealing with? You have to go into details as to why you're going to bet or hedge against it. Is it as the, the process the same as where you go to invest in shares? Is, are there parallels when you do that type of analysis? Yeah, there is. And look, I guess it depends on, yeah, that's a, that's a good way of asking that too, Jude. The, the way I'd look, I look at this is that if, when I've, when I've done it, and again, there are different perspectives on how to do this strategy, when it applies, when it doesn't apply. If your goal is to buy shares that are very flat in terms of their volatility, and you know, they, they range between, you know, to a small degree, then writing call options in that regards is, is a, a useful strategy. If you're in a share that, that you're expecting, or there's there's high probability, either there's a lot of volatility and there's potential upside, writing call options, although it's a good income generation strategy in the short term, then also means that you'd have to miss, you potentially would miss out on some of that upside. So it, if I was going to answer your question around doing the research, I think writing 
writing calls, for example, as a as a strategy has its place as part of your overall strategy, your yep. overall portfolio. portfolio. You'd, you'd want to do your due diligence. Anyway, you wouldn't necessarily want to go buy a share that you're thinking is going to go down, so you'd buy the insurance of. It's sort of the the put option strategy is like it's a hedge. It's to cover your downside with the hope that things are going to go up. So in that case, you'd still want to be doing your research as to why you're getting into this particular share in the first case. If your share, if your if your strategy is okay, in this case, I want to I want to just basically buy a flat share so that I can write cover calls and generate income. Fantastic. You do your research on that company, but take your necessary protection around it and start writing your calls around that. If you think, wow, this this company's got potential upside, but God, it swings around a fair bit, and I really want to take some upside, but I don't want to cop a uh, a significant loss if it drops down or if the things that they're anticipating are not going to go down, then you might want to look at using your, your put option as your, your hedge for your greater position. So, yeah, I think definitely research makes sense. You've got to understand why you're getting into a, a particular share in the first case. I, I'm not sure if I answered that thoroughly or as well as you needed there, Jude. No, no, I think you've, you've, you've definitely addressed this question, uh, the question, Steve. You're absolutely spot on, right? I guess at any point of time, as you rightly pointed, there is that due diligence required, right? Be it in the options case or even in case of any of the uh, individual shares, you need to do that level of due diligence. So I think you've definitely addressed that mm-hmm. question. But I thought it was important to ask because, you know, there, there has to be parallels in it in terms of, you know, concepts, right? Like eventually when you're getting into something, you still need to do that amount of work. It's not like, you know, in, in a way that it's just free money coming in, right? It's Absolutely. Yeah, nothing's push button. Correct. Absolutely. So, so thanks for addressing that. But, but just on that point, <laughs> and kind of thinking about this on the, on the practical side of things, what would someone need to do in in order to actually trade options? So, can all brokerage accounts accommodate options, or only some of them? How how would it work in practice? I, I, to be honest, I'm not sure if all brokerage houses do it, but there is definitely a different class of a bro- account that you need to have. Like, for example, I've got a range of different brokerage houses that I use. One of them is Comsec. Comsec definitely does do options trading as one of its products. So in that case, you, you need to apply for a, uh, an options trading account. And they, as part of their due diligence, they need to make sure because of the fact that there are inherent risks with this particular class of investment, they want to make sure that you've got the level of financial literacy and sophistication to understand the risks that you're getting involved in. If they don't, they're, they're being negligent. If they, if they let you join in, because somebody could then write a, a naked call and get themselves in a lot of trouble. So, so yeah, you basically have to apply. They've got a little test that makes sure that you understand how calls and put options work, how how they're priced and the durations and all that sort of stuff. And then on the basis of that outcome, you can then set up an account and link it to the rest of your CompSec account. I imagine it would be very similar with all the other brokerage firms that, that do have options trading as a, as a product that, they, that they're offering. Right. Okay, that's really interesting. They, they have to put you through a test. <laughs> yeah, well, as we mentioned, because there are different risks. You know, there's, Obviously, when you go and buy an index fund or a share, you're taking on a level of risk. There's, there's, you know, there's always a little bit of, of risk in terms of investment. So, but because of the fact that the options prices can fluctuate so much, and yep. somebody can either lose all their money or uh, a significant amount more than they invested, that's an extra level of risk that they need to understand. People are, have got their head around. Yep, sure, sure. And I think Steve, you've kind of talked about this already in part anyway, but 
as options, people can consider them as part of their wider investing strategy, right? So mm-hmm. for Jude and myself, a lot of uh, what we invest in are index funds. And then mm-hmm. we do have some individual shares as well. And, you know, we call it as part of our core and satellite kind of approach to investing. Mm-hmm. I guess people, once they understand the risks and benefits of options, they could perhaps do a very small percentage in certain options once they feel comfortable with that risk level. Would I be correct in saying that? Yeah, and, and education. Um, I think mm. because uh, because it, because of those additional risks, I think people should invest in some education. And there are resources. There are ASX provides additional resources. Comsec has got a little bit of an explanation on on how the products work as well. So yeah, definitely some with some education, you could somebody could um, dip their toe in, and depending on what level of control they want over their portfolio, uh, they can they can apportion a, 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 a yeah a certain amount towards that. Mm. Got it. So and in terms of like I think uh, just a follow up question to what Sam's asked, right, Dave, is when you started off with what's your current you know your what what strategy did you really start off with and then you obviously branched out into different other uh, options I would say, but yeah, you yeah, branched it. out into different other elements, right? So now we're doing financial dad jokes, Jude. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, sure, put, um, I had to um, put in yeah, some level of humor in between. I guess. <laughs> yeah, perfect, perfect. And the dad in me really appreciates that too. So thank you very much for that. So I, I started off with trying the speculative side and I had mixed results. And sometimes I won and other times I um, got a lesson. So what, what I preferred doing later was a combination of the two strategies that I sort of described beforehand, which was buying shares, writing calls and and buying the put options. So getting the best of both of the tools that, that options provide. So yeah, I wanted to hedge so that I, whatever amount I put, I wasn't really risking. I had a degree of protection against, but then just using the, the call writing strategy as an income generation tool. So that was that that was the main strategy that I that I worked with. Yeah, I found that options trading and being on a speculative side required an extra degree of of risk management and timing and stuff that was beyond my level of skill and comprehension. So I, I quickly decided I didn't want to keep gifting money to the market. So sort of sit on the winning side of the equation. Uh, yeah. So it, earlier I said that 90% of options expire worthless on on average. That, that means that 90% of the time riders are collecting the money and keeping it right. Yep. Um, and if, if it kind of, I, I looked at how insurance companies and gaming sports betting kind of companies are doing a lot of advertising, which means they've got a lot of money, which means they're doing something right. So I think sitting on the side of making, of writing and collecting premiums was a smarter strategy for me than trading options. So, yeah. And I think it's the lowest risk. It's the one that's the highest probability. Because the thing is, if I just stop for one more moment, if you're an option writer, you collect the premium up front. Yep. So no matter what, that money is yours. If you were owning shares outright and the share didn't move for a month, you've made no money. If yep. I buy, if I've got BHP shares and I write a call option against them, if the share moves nowhere, I've still collected 50 cents of premium that month. Got it. Mm. Um, I also, if it drops by, to, by 50 cents, I still have collected that that premium. So I'm still at a at a, a positive and if it goes up by less than 50 cents and at the end of the month it's only worth $40.50 i've collected the premium and made the upside so i've got three ways to win when i'm writing a call option when i'm buying an option i've only got one way to win and it has to go up in my way considerably for, for me to profit that's why i like stacking the probability of winning 
in my favor. No, that's a really that's a really good way to put it. <laughs> and I guess you've again touched on this before, but what other material can people look to if they want to improve themselves in terms of an understanding of options? So you mentioned before the ASX has has a lot of material, Comsec has a lot of material. What else could you recommend? Yeah, look, fortunately, we're in a beautiful age where there's a thing called YouTube. You might have heard they oftentimes, <laughs> they oftentimes say, dude, I thought I contribute with a dad joke myself. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> you, you, you can YouTube a lot of what I've just discussed. You could probably just do a quick search on covered call strategy on YouTube or uh, buying puts for hedging. Just to understand that a little bit more, there are a bunch of people that have got some great lessons on there. Be careful. Sometimes it's an introduction into a, a high-powered and highly-priced course at the end of it, but but you can still just get some more information on that. And, you know, if you're going to go down the path of really taking it seriously, then, yeah, I would recommend doing some investment. I, I believe ASX still runs some training courses on options to, to get more and more proficient at them, but there are also trading academies that are that are uh, reputable that you'll probably um, go to as well. Obviously one that's got a good reputation. Outside of that, there are a range of books. When I first started learning about them, there were a range of good authors that were speaking about options writing. One author's name is just totally escaped me now, but she wrote a great book called The Secret of Writing Options. And she discussed writing naked puts and covered puts and naked calls and writing covered calls as well. So yeah, there's definitely a range of opportunities of, of learning more information. Perfect. Awesome. 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 Sounds good, Steve. This is this has been really good today, Steve. I think uh, we covered off the fundamentals at least of options. I think this this is just the surface in terms of uh, you know what we really discussed today. There is definitely something to go you know deeper into this conversation. But um, you know for today it was it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Pretty sure that yeah, you know, we will we will definitely be in touch in order to take a more deeper dive into options and, and other topics in the future. But, you know, thank you for your time today. It's been great yeah, chatting to you. Yeah, pleasure. If you want, you know, we could have, you know, one going a little bit more specific on either one of those, either doing the covered call strategy with some more concrete examples or or uh, if somebody was going to go down the speculative path, how to do it safer. There's a couple of strategies that can be done to, to minimize some of that risk as well. But, yeah, I'd, I'd love to chat again. Awesome. I think we'll definitely have you on again, buddy. So absolute pleasure having you on today onto the podcast. Yeah, likewise. Cool. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, gents. All right. No worries. All good. All right. So that's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening in. Hope you enjoyed the show. Please check out our website if you haven't done so already. It's ozinvesting.com, spelled O-Z-Investing, and consider joining our email list. We'll also be sending out an easy-to-use checklist on what to look out for when investing in the stock market. Also check us out on social media. There are links to our social pages on our website. And if you'd like to contact us, please do so. Please send us an email. The email address is ozinvesting2020 at gmail.com or through the contact section on our website. So with all that said and done, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and we'll catch you in the next episode. See you later.